Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. I believe this is episode 191. Delighted to welcome David Weaver, the founder of Franchise Your Freedom. Um, I've spent seven years as part of a franchise, so I'm delighted to have someone who's an expert in all the things franchising. Um, I think people, even if you are in your own company or in, in a corporate job at the moment, will will enjoy this episode. Um, David, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you. Um, as I said, I've, 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 I've been involved with a franchise for seven plus years, and there's many franchises around the world that people recognize from from as large as McDonald's to kind of some landscape companies as well I'm sure they recognize but let's start with getting having the audience getting to understand who who David is if I've done my research correctly the high school that you grew up in was called Homestead uh, and that according to Google is based in California but I but I might be throwing myself in the deep end here did you grow up in California no, no. I grew up in Indiana Okay. So yeah, Homestead High School is correct. And, uh, but I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is pretty flat and, um, and, you know, it's a good place to grow up, but uh, I couldn't wait to get out of there as a kid. Well, you did go to university in Indiana, if I've got that correct, to study marketing. That's true. Marketing and management. Yep. Why did you pick marketing and management? Um, well, I wanted to own. I wanted to own and run a business since I was a kid, and so going to business school was kind of my singular um, focus to to achieve that. Um, why marketing and management? Um, I see myself as a as a guy that's running the business, so I didn't really want to get into accounting or anything like that. So um, that was probably that's probably the short answer. I think every business needs to do two things. You need to find and attract great customers that want to come back over and over again. And you got to learn to find and attract great employees and know how to manage them well. So they want to stay. Yeah. You touched on uh, running your own business. So I'm going to ask the question, you know, people can typically point to or count on their hand, uh, the number of people that had a massive impact on their later life in their early years. So let's think like pre-teenage David. Can you think of maybe perhaps one or two people that had a massive influence in your life? Could have been an acquaintance, high school teacher, a parent, a friend that helped you become the person you are today? And if so, who might they be? That's a really great question. Um, first one is Mr. Saint. Uh, Mr. Saint Laurent was our um, French teacher. I hated French. Um <laughs> At eighth grade, he was, um, he ended up becoming the principal, I guess, if I remember right. Um, so I'm an eighth grade kid. He was the first teacher to kind of talk to me directly about being a kid and kind of what, what to expect going into high school and what to avoid and things like that. So um, I would say as sort of a, an adult figure that, that gave me the straight scoop, I would say Mr. Mr. Saint was it. Um, and then I would say a close second to that uh, was Coach Cavasini, football coach in high school, um, super smart guy. So he was our English teacher in, in high school, um, really bright guy and, and also a very effective coach. Um, 
he also wasn't afraid. This is the reason I think I like him is um, he wasn't afraid to just say you're full of crap. Like that's you're you're not performing at your height. Or if we were in the English class, he was like, that's the worst you know essay I've ever seen. It's full of a bunch of flowery language. You're you're writing it as though you're trying to get a grade. Just tell me what you're trying to say. So he really helped sort of you know talk to me straight and and um, you know. It, Hone your communication skills if you want to be successful is kind of the message. Direct and to the point as well and stand behind what you say. Um, it's often interesting hearing when people give shout out to teachers because as I said before recording this, I've, this is my 191st episode and I can certainly see on at least 60% of them when I, when, I, when I do ask that question. It's often a teacher that, that, that appears, but generally in society, they're kind of... Um, not given as much credit as, as they deserve or spoken about as highly as they deserve. But, you know, I remember having a conversation with my own father and there's two or three teachers that he remembers the name of. And I was in the gym the other day and I'm long out of high school, but I saw my French teacher and in me and I hated French, but he made me love French. And it, 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 it automatically just built uh, a, 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 a flashback moment. So shout out to all the great teachers out there, especially the two that, uh, that, that you've given a shout out to. But, um, I, I want to move on to the next stage of the podcast, which is kind of looking at some of your previous roles. Um, I'm, I'm going to rewind the clock back just a little more than two decades um, to <laughs> the year 2000. Um, I actually focused between 2000 and 2017 because in, in that in that 17-year period, um, you were in three different companies. But what's quite, quite remarkable about that is actually you were in three different senior roles. So I imagine you've built up a ton of experience, knowledge, um, cuts and bruises throughout the time. So if you don't mind, I'm going to touch on each of those companies. And if you could give me a key lesson you learned in each, in each of those environments, perhaps a skill, a behavior, or an attitude that you improved upon in each of those times. So if we start with LaSalle Foundry and Machine Company, is there a skill, uh, attitude, or behavior that stands out to you that you went into that less than and came out greater than? Uh, LaSalle is an interesting experience. That was my, my, uh, family business experience. So LaSalle founder is owned by my father. I, I left corporate America to go help them fix this, uh, business that he, that he bought. Um, and it was, I, I call that my real life MBA. I learned more in those four years than I've ever, ever could ask to learn in any kind of university. Um, I applied everything that I learned in school, um, in, in that turning that company around, uh, it was a tough environment, uh, economic environment, macroeconomic environment uh, at the time. Um, I would, I'm going to answer the question this way. The skill that I learned that I'm actually most proud of now that I'm approaching 50 is I can weld just about every metal that you can think of. I'm very good welder. Um, I haven't done it in 20 years, so I, I, I'm probably not very good anymore, but um, we did a lot of non-ferrous castings. And so I was sort of the repair guy. Um, and I learned from the previous owner's son, who was the repair guy. And um, he basically showed me everything once and then left. And he was like, figure it out. So um, that's, that's the skill that I learned um, that, I, that I'm proud of. I would yeah. say from a career standpoint and how I help people today in franchising is I implemented ISO 9000 quality control process in that business. And 
that was extremely hard. It cost a lot of money and it took two or three years to actually get it working the right way. Um, in retrospect, looking back on that experience, that was my aha moment in franchising, why I think franchising is so great. So I would say that's that's the answer to your question. I'm going to jump into that aha moment deeper in a moment or two. Must have been pretty cool to work with your dad. I had the fortune as well to work with mine for uh, half a decade and uh, multiple benefits from building on the relationship. The only potential downside is it's difficult to switch between work and normal life when you're having conversations outside of work. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, working for friends and with friends and family is a cliche for a reason, right? Um, my wife had, and I had the same experience when we owned our Elements Massage Studios for, uh, we owned those for a handful of years. Um, it's hard to, to establish the boundaries and we're not going to talk about work, you know, that was our rule. We're not going to talk about kids or work on date night is, is kind of the rule that we had. So um, anybody that wants to get into business and, and you're going to do it with your spouse, it's, that's a, some tricky ground sometimes. Well, let's touch on one or more of those two roles before we move on to the next session. And that's Landmark Financial Corporation. Again, a, a skill, behavior, or attitude that you improved upon while you were there. I would say a, a skill or probably an attitude would be continuously learning. What I loved about working at Landmark, so Landmark was a privately held direct lender. We were a small financing company. Um, I wanted to move back to Colorado. So the foundry was in Michigan. I wanted to move back to Colorado, which is where I was before I moved. Um, and they needed somebody to, to figure out franchise lending. And I was like, if I can turn around a manufacturing facility, how hard can it be to sell money? Because everybody needs money. Um, and what I loved about that experience is I learned so much underwriting all these small business loans um, about all kinds of stuff. Um, and, I, and so the, the attitude is always be continuously learning. Um, there's just a ton to learn. Uh, in business and as it relates to business and managing people and things like that. Um, but really what I took away from that experience as it relates to what I do now in franchise consulting is I learned what, what are the characteristics that make a great franchisor great? Um, and what are the characteristics that franchisors that have a bunch of lawsuits would like what what is their attitude or focus or whatever so how do you determine which franchise is going to be a good franchise um was something that i learned in underwriting a bunch of franchisors so that we could set up finance programs and get behind those franchise uh, brands as they were growing um so yeah twofold understanding the franchisor and and kind of what makes those tick but but the second piece is really studying the unit economics of any particular franchise but also sort of taking what i've learned in small business underwriting right so a yeah. lot of common characteristics when you underwrite doing loans for small businesses um you know revenue per employee um, number of salespeople to, to, to top line revenue. There's just a lot of things that where you can take and um, that I've pulled out of that analysis uh, in, in lending money to small businesses. There's a, there's a really interesting question there that I want to get to, and I'm going to get to it. But the first question I want to ask that's going to help me lead into it is um, you're the founder of Franchise and Freedom. You'll know it better than I do since that you live it and breathe it every day. Um, so the mic's yours. 
tell the audience what it is you do. What is Franchise Your Freedom? So Franchise Your Freedom is, um, that's my, my webpage and my, my company. Um, my Functionally, as a franchise consultant, I help people transition from something they know and understand, W-2 income, corporate job, towards something that they want, but they don't know a ton about, small business ownership. So how do you bridge that transition and, and identify a franchise business that you might want to invest in? So I, I feel like I'm really in the education business, um, helping people become educated buyers so that they know exactly what they're getting into before they spend any money. So here's the question that I want. And what I'll do before I jump to this is I'm going to leave links to both websites, your LinkedIn, any other socials, anything else you'd like me to leave below, whether you're listening or watching to this um, in, the, in the comment section. But leading to that question, you know, as, as, we, as, I, as I touched on, I was involved in Sandler training for, for seven years and you're familiar with Sandler. You do work with them in, in the States. Um, I've seen a number of franchisees come in and come out of the business. Some make it incredibly successful uh, and some may only last a year and a half, two years uh, and then drift. But the, the, the question I have here is when you're buying a franchise, you go through in, in Sandler, it's called initial training. So they give you all the necessary training that they'd give anyone else to give the, the kind of seven, eight figure guys to uh, uh, anyone else. And I imagine it's similar if you buy a McDonald's, there's, a num there's, there's training you got to go through, there's protocols you got to meet, there's, there's a ton of things. So it's essentially a copy paste business in some sense. And I, and I don't want to brand everything as that, but the point I'm trying to get at here is how come some people can do so well and succeed at that? And others, you know, within 18 months to 24 months, they've not made a penny and they got to go back to the corporate world. That's part one of the second part is what can people do to avoid ending up in that second bucket? That's a good one. Um, I'm going to actually borrow a quote from Bob, who is a Sandler sales training franchisee that I did an interview with um, here in Denver. Uh, this is years ago, but it's up on my YouTube channel. You can watch it. And he, he says this, and, I, and it's true. That's why I'm going to borrow it from him. Um, he, he was kind of explaining the initial training. And he yeah. said, so many people go into initial training. And as soon as they're out, they're like, I'm going to change this. And I want to change that. He says, my advice to you is just follow the system that you bought. You bought into a system for a reason. So just follow it. And then he says, which, also, which is also smart, it's okay to tweak and change some things in your business. This is your business as a franchisee, but mm. do it once you've executed and you're an expert in everything the franchisor is sharing with you, right? Yeah. So, so become an expert in the system that you purchased and, and be very good at the execution of that. Once you do that, then you start tweaking and honing it. And, and what happens to be in the second bucket very commonly not, not super common, but for the people that are unsuccessful, they implement 40% or 60% of what the franchise says, and then they start making changes, right? And so, and then it's like, well, this doesn't work and that doesn't work. Or, and, and some of the things the franchisor needs you to implement are difficult to, to execute, right? So, the, and, and or it takes a learning curve and you're not very good at it for the first year, right? Or the first 18 months. And so, it's that patience and persistence that really separates the A players from the, the D players. 
so many times I've seen franchisees stand on stage and, and they're five years into their journey and they give a talk about, you know, how they get from buy, buying the franchise to kind of, there's award levels in standard to X award level. And the journey always starts with, they almost gave up. They almost gave up. It's so hard the first year or two. And then, and then it just clicked, but they followed the system that helped them get to where they were today. So, if I take a back step before someone even buys a franchise, some people look at franchises as this negative thing. Um, dare I say it, fake entrepreneurship, not a real entrepreneur. If you buy a franchise because you're buying a business and then you just grow it, you're not building it from the ground up. Why might you think some people are perhaps hesitant in it when it comes to leaving, let's say, corporate America to start their next career? Why would they be hesitant or like not want to look towards franchising? Because I'm sure you've had those conversations with someone. Oh, I'm not really interested, but I'll take a look. Or someone just a clear no that you've managed to bring into what you do. To then they end up buying a franchise and they end up inviting you out of their family home to thank you for changing their entire life. <laughs> it's a that is that just happened actually. Um, <laughs> so I'll I'll answer your question and then I'll I'll, I'll share a story because I I love the story. Um, so I hear that a lot. I don't want to buy a fran franchising is just buying a job. It's not really entrepreneurship, right? And, yeah. and I would agree it's not entrepreneurship, but I think a franchisee is a blend between it's an employee that no longer wants corporate America, but, but doesn't feel like they need to have their thumbprint on every aspect of the business. The website has to be just perfect. The, the content has to be, they, they just want a website that works, right? Mm -hmm. So they appreciate, a franchisee appreciates the structure and the systems that the franchise has put together so that they can just get to work and building the business. Um, so what I love about franchising is your ability to scale, um, shorten the learning curve, get to business, you know, get to work and, and build a business. And you're building a business that's not about you, right? The, the entrepreneur is building a business that typically becomes an extension of themselves, which is a very, very common, uh, the entrepreneurial trap and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so as it relates to um, this idea of getting a job, one, one thing that I do in my consulting practice is get people to look at the franchise space like a business investor so that we're not shopping for a franchise like a consumer, right? And so how do you develop a business investment strategy so that you can find the franchise that matches the strategy rather than shopping for franchises that you think are cool, right? Yeah. Um, and so getting back to this idea of buying a job, I had a candidate earlier this year um, that the husband was dead set. This is definitely the one that I want to do. And the, and the wife was just not quite ready to pull the trigger and she, she got stuck, right? And one of the things that she was stuck on um, was A, the idea that if I buy a business, the business is going to dominate my life and I'm going to be married to this business and all I'm going to be doing is, and therefore I'll be a bad mom. Mm -hmm. That's a tough one, man, because, you know, women want to be really great moms and that freedom and flexibility and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and so we really had to talk through that. That's a big one that comes up quite frequently, actually. Um, the, and the other piece was, you know, the franchisor is so structured that it feels like I'm just going to work for the franchisor. That's another very common um, scenario. And so I just walked her through. I said, who wants to buy a job? You don't want to do that. You want to build and scale a business that 
provides for you, but you don't have to do the day-to-day -day stuff. So what does that look like, right? And, and so we talked about the different phases of growth and, and scalability and when are you going to hire new people and why this particular franchise is such a good match for you because they have very structured process of the first six months you're going to be doing the sales and then the, then we immediately want you to hire a salesperson within six months like you're not going to be doing don't get comfortable doing the sales yourself you get stuck in the business right that's the, similar to the entrepreneurial trap and a lot of franchisees get stuck just like entrepreneurs do and so they this particular brand forces you to delegate and hire and build so that in a very short period of time two to three years you're out of the business. You're out of the day-to-day. -day. You're not doing the, the, the structural stuff. You're building a team. And so as I walked her through that, you're pulling yourself out of the business. Now that's going to give you more flexibility to be a great mom. So this particular franchise and franchising in general, it does deliver the ability to have the life that you want. But to your point earlier, you have to do the work. You can't circumvent the system, you you know, and and you and I tell this to people all the time. You've got to build the foundation for your own business, right? Mm. The franchisor is going to deliver the process to follow, the training, the steps along the way, and you have to do all of those things. Um, but again, you are the one that has to hire the people and train your people and you know execute against the plan. Um, it's the lack of lack of execution that makes the those franchisees in the second bucket as you mentioned earlier for sure so there's a there's a ton of franchise uh companies across the world thousands i bet um and it probably can be quite daunting if someone's in let's use the example again corporate america and trying to decide what they want to do next and the thought of a franchise is, is in their head but then they look online and they're like wow there's so many franchises i'm not gonna even go near that because i get too distracted how do you make the process easy for someone who who the first thing when they look at it going, I don't even know where to start. What What's that first step that someone comes to you? Let's say I came to you and said, thinking of a franchise, but I don't know because there's so many. Like, what would you do? Um, so the first step is start with the individual, right? Um, the hardest question for somebody in my position. So I have relationships with over 200 brands. Um, there's about 4,000 companies franchising in the United States wow. uh, alone. Um, and, and I tell people very directly, there's a lot of fantastic franchises out there. And there's also a ton of garbage. There are franchisors that are selling franchises. They've never even run the business that they're selling. Mm -hmm. I think it's horrible, but it happens, right? So how would you know the difference if you're talking to a great salesperson? They're going to make it all look great, really great. So um, that's where I come back to the first step to answer your question. Talk to the individual about what it is that they want this business to do for them. Why are you starting a business in the first place? Why do you have this dream of business ownership? And, and what is the result that you're after? And that result or their why is the first step, right? Really helping them clarify, because a lot of people don't know, right? The, the first short answer is I want to make piles and piles of money and business owners make more money and I'm an employee or whatever. Um, Really, when you get down to it, and this comes to Franchise Your Freedom, and I've been doing this for over a decade, and I've helped thousands of people walk through this process, what people really want is not piles of money. They want control or freedom or a combination of both, right? They want control over their time. They want control over their income. 
they want uh, control uh, back of their life. I mean, coming out of the pandemic and everything that that's transpired throughout that, like, I think everybody is focused on control, right? I, I want more control over my world, um, less government influence, less telling me what to do. Um, I want to work from home. That's a big thing coming out of the pandemic, right? So um, that's the biggest thing. So we start with why are you doing this in the first place? And then we build foundational tools or steps to get them to clarify their investment strategy. Every business investor focuses on the business model first. What is the business model that I'm going to invest in? And then if I can master that business model, how do I scale it? And, and once I scale a business, now I'm in a position of choice. So a lot of people talk about, you know, I'm going to work until retirement. And once I get to retirement, it's going to be great. And I'm going to do this and that and travel the world or play golf or whatever. I dumped the whole retirement idea years ago. And, and I, I don't think I'm going to retire. I'm not the type that wants to, you know, work till I'm 65 or 50 or 75, whatever the number is, and then have some sort of life of Riley. Um, what I, what I talk about is working towards choice, right? So what does that mean? I want to choose to take on a project. I want to choose to, you know, do this for six months or 12 months and then do something else. Um, one of the reasons I love franchising and I invest in franchise companies myself is it's a project. It's, I'm going to do this for three to five years. I'm going to build up a business and sell it off and go do something else. Right. So I've owned lots of different kinds of businesses. We talked about the foundry business, heavy manufacturing, gritty, dirty environment. Um, auto business is also kind of a tough and tumble industry to be in. Um, so that was a good experience. But I've also owned a decorative concrete stamped and stained patios and driveways company. I've owned uh, a restaurant on, on a college campus. It was a bar, like a pizza shop with a bar. That was a terrible investment. Right. So, uh, but again, you get into all the, into my wife and I owned an elements massage studio. So how do you jump from the, all of these different businesses? It's this investment philosophy that I share with folks. So that takes your world of 4,000 brands and very quickly brings it down to some reasonable, palatable focus for the kinds of businesses that you want to invest in, whoever I'm talking to. Does that make sense? hundred percent. As we're getting towards the end of this conversation, um, I noticed on your LinkedIn, you uh, are a member of entrepreneur, the, the Entrepreneurs Organization, EO. Uh, I'm curious about your thoughts uh, and why you believe networking is important. You know, many avoid it perhaps through nerves or they don't see it providing an immediate value or return like picking up the phone and calling someone. Um, or it could be a distraction from the trying to build their business. Talk to me. I'm a believer in it too. Hence why I do the podcast. Talk to me about how you think networking has paid off for you. Uh, networking is the best way to, to build a business, in my opinion, right? Right next to personal referrals, like one-on-one personal referrals. That's the, the most fun way to grow a business is working with people that know and like and trust you already or sending you their friends and family or work colleagues so referrals is the best. Networking is, is a very close second. Um, EO is a fabulous organization. It's a, it's a worldwide organization. Um, Colorado is, used to be anyway when I was, when I was part of EO, uh, the, w- one of the largest chapters in the world. Um, 
it is a it, it is founders that are doing over a million dollars in revenue typically 10 or so employees up to say five six ten million dollars and then and then usually they'll if they get bigger than that they'll graduate to another sister organization called ypo young presidents organization another great great organization um eo is different than networking that's a common um it, it's not a lot of networking like let me pass you leads and and you should talk to this that naturally happens because of the ecosystem but um eo is really about um challenging your your blind spots as an owner like focusing yourself as an owner and a founder and how do you grow learn and grow your company learn and grow yourself so personal improvement and and personal growth and then family how do you be a good father or a good mother if as an entrepreneur so when you blend those three things together right business acumen uh personal growth and and family ba that balance is what's so important and and difficult as as business owners and especially as entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs are always on their own island right yeah. um which is another thing that I love about franchising. So EO has this, this EO forum, right? So you have seven to 10 business owners and you meet once a month and you share experiences that the whole premise of it is based on this experience share so that so that you can gather from other people's uh, in, in knowledge and experience and things like that. Well, good franchisors have similar things that they call them pilot programs or, or um, you know groups, accountability groups, whatever, yeah. they're called different things. But what's really powerful about franchising is all those owners in that group. So let's assume it's the same thing, seven to 10 owners. They're running the exact same business with the exact same issues, with the exact same employee base, with the exact same customer expectations and arguments and frustrations, et cetera. So the peer network in a solid franchise brand organization is incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. You, you couldn't have said it better. There's, I, I was, in, as I said, seven years in Sandler and they met three times a year, uh, all the franchisees. There was 500 of them with associates included in a room for three days of learning, sharpening your saws, they called it. And then, you know, once a month, they met as, um, they met as franchise owners in their region to, uh, to kind of sharpen their saws as well, that peer-to-peer that -peer contact. Um, I've, I've got one more question before we wrap up. Um, and it, it's a question that I ask at, at the end of all podcasts. Um, if you were, um, I'm unsure of who it is in, in the States, but let's say you were in charge of adding a mandatory subject to the high school curriculum that's not on the high school curriculum, what would that subject be and why? That's a really interesting question. Um, if I'm going to add a piece of curriculum, I mean, <laughs> honestly, in the United States, I think our school systems are so off They're they're cattywampus they're they're off base uh first thing i would say is think for yourself which is not what our school systems in the united states are designed for mm. um so a a system or or a class on um emotional intelligence would be the number one thing and a close second would be entrepreneurship interesting i've had 35, 40 guests from the States on, and the most common answer is usually emotional intelligence or finance. No kidding. Yeah, typically. Um, David, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I'll leave links to all your socials, your websites, uh, your YouTube channel where you've interviewed some people as well uh, in the link 
wherever you're listening or watching this. But for today, thanks again for being my guest and I wish you continued success in the future. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, yo, Metro, don't trust you. I'm going to show you. Beautiful morning. Get it.